Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. With over 200,000 locations throughout the U.S. and offering 12,000 different types of batteries, stop into your local Interstate Battery store today and let them help you find the right batteries for your everyday life. God, I mean, I've never seen a bear on my property, but it's my dream to one day see a bear on the property just walking right through the backyard you should yep. start putting some food out for him <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's the one who doesn't like me <laughs> <laughs> he's converted he's oh, yeah. oh, it didn't take much yeah, yeah man no. I'm, I'm a i'm weak you converted <laughs> me right no, away no that's a lot of people a lot of people don't understand baiting like they have this it, it's a it's a it's kind of a you know it's like is it fair and that's really not the right question because if the macro concern is the health of wildlife and their how they live inside of habitat then we have to go back to what's the best management tool for this resource mm-hmm. and then once you actually start baiting bears you realize how hard it is i believe that bears are going to be the gateway to the hunting community and so if we guard that gate they're never going to get anything else My name is Clay Newcomb, and I'm the host of the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast. I'll also be your host into the world of hunting, the icon of North American wilderness, the bear. We'll talk about tactics, gear, conservation, but we'll also bring you into some of the wildest country on the planet, chasing bear. We had the opportunity to sit down with James Brandenburg, the Arkansas State Chair of the Southeast Chapter of the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers Organization at the Global Headquarters. We had an incredible conversation about some of the tough issues and tough questions 
related to large predator hunting and specifically baiting and using hounds for bear. James is a is a newer hunter and we had a really open dialogue about some of the questions that he's had and undoubtedly some of the questions that other hunters and non-hunters might have had. One of the iconic phrases that came up inside of this podcast is the idea that bear hunting is the gate for the anti-hunting community to come into the sphere of hunting. Why wouldn't we want a strong gate with a strong narrative, with a strong understanding throughout the hunting community of why we do the things that we do and how we do it? I think sometimes in the broader hunting community, there's a sense that people would just like us to give this to the anti-hunting community because they don't understand it and it's probably one of the harder things about modern hunting to understand well if bear hunting using hounds and bait was not the gate then the next lowest rung on the ladder would be the gate and we'd be in the same problem so the answer is to strengthen the gate that's what we talk about on this podcast is filling in the gaps, building a strong narrative that makes sense and shows the rational aspects, also the traditional aspects, and all the positive benefits of bear hunting. If you're in the southeastern United States, in Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, or Florida, and Alabama, check out the southeast chapter of the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. This group is dedicated to the preservation of access for hunters and anglers onto public lands. Public lands have typically been an issue that's been related to mostly public land in the West, or historically, that's been where we think about these issues being. But the southeast is full of public land. As a matter of fact, Florida I think has some of the most public land of any state in the country. So we've got issues here in the southeast. Check out the backcountry hunters and anglers. Welcome to the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast. The day is June the 4th. Is it June the 4th? I believe so. June the 4th. We're at the Bear Hunting Magazine Global Headquarters. So we've got uh, Jed here, Jed the Plot Hound. We've got Colby the Bear Tech. And our our guest today is James Brandenburg. James, I'll give give a short introduction of of how I know you. And then I'll turn it over to you a little bit to tell us a little bit about yourself. But... So James is a native Arkansan. The way I know you is through backcountry hunters and anglers. Yep. So James is the the lead here in Arkansas. Yep. For state chair now. State chair. Okay, so it's official. Yep. At the time we got to know each other, there really wasn't a state chair. Right. But yeah, so James is with uh, backcountry hunters and anglers. Aside from being a father and husband and hunter and golfer and, you know. And fisherman. Fisherman, yeah. <laughs> so before we get into you... I want to tell people what we're going to talk about. Just catch them right at first, because there may be some delay before we talk about this. Okay. Yep. But so James and I have been have been talking, and we thought it'd be a good idea. Well, James is the one that actually had the idea, but to have a podcast where we talked about many of the misconceptions about bear hunting. Yeah. And so James is. I'm not going to say you're new to hunting. I don't know if that would be accurate, but you didn't you didn't grow up with 
specifically bear hunting. Oh, definitely not. Definitely. Yeah, and so there's somebody who's new to it, doesn't understand it. There are a lot of questions that people might have specifically about running bear with hounds, hunting bear over bait. Yep. I mean, I'm not afraid to say that those things are hard to understand. It's the thing that even many hunters don't understand. And so we're going to have a discussion yeah. about about these things today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, from my perspective, uh, my background, uh, grew up in northwest Arkansas. As we've talked about, you know, is mostly my outdoor activity was golf. Um I did not start. You'll be the first golfer on the show. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Well, I, I love being <laughs> distinct in some way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't actually start hunting until, I was trying to do the math on this on the way down here. Um, I think it was eight or nine years ago. Okay. So I've got three boys. My oldest will turn 19. And then I have a 17-year-old, and or he'll be 17, and he'll be four, my youngest will be 14 right. this summer. So, um, first one was interested in hunting. So I thought, well, I might as well at least get my hunter safety card and then I can buy a license. I can take them out. Okay. So at this time you weren't interested in hunting. I I mean, I was a little bit curious about it, but not, I I was much more interested in fishing, Yeah, yeah. you know, and I, and I started that not too long before that I started fly fishing and I really got hooked on, on that to start off with. I did not intend the pun. I'm very sorry about that. (laughs) No, so I so I started with that, and and that was kind of my introduction into things outside. So your kids sports. brought you into hunting. Yeah, yeah, That's very opposite very of everybody else. Yeah, pretty cool. Okay. Um. So I went through all kinds of things with them, and I'll and I'll we won't go into all of that, but that's how I got started. Okay. With hunting. Um. Now up in Missouri, you know, I know down here in Arkansas, for example, let's just talk about deer hunting for a minute. You can bait down here. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, in Missouri, you don't bait. And so a lot of what informed my early ethics around hunting just had to do with the regulations for where I was hunting. Right. So then I then I started hearing, even though I lived in Arkansas, we hunted in Missouri. That's where my in-laws okay. live. I, I should it. I should spell that part out, too. Got it. So we went to where my in-laws lived and, and hunted up there. It's close to where we live. So those rules are what informed my own personal ethics. And so I would kind of like, well, why would you... I mean, baiting is bad, right? And I hear right, about it in yeah. Arkansas. I'm like, well, I kind of look down my nose on it a little bit. Yeah. I mean, for why? I don't know. I mean, geez, I've only been hunting a couple of years. Who am I to tell somebody else, right? But then as I've gotten more and more involved in, in hunting and and started to be exposed to different things, on the one hand, I've kind of realized, okay, there's different ways to do it in different places. And maybe one's not necessarily worse than the other. But there's also these other things that... I think I do feel still like a new hunter. And so there's these different ideals that I that I come to and I'm like I think it's worth These are probably questions that, that a lot of people have. Yeah, yeah, sure. I think I think a lot of people if you don't know bear hunting for example, you might wonder why do they have to use dogs? Why do they have to use bait? That doesn't seem fair. And yep. and so I want to I want to yeah, interview gonna you. Gonna we're going to turn the tables, you know. I want to yeah. ask you those questions and not my intention to to be confrontational, but I'm, I'm going to kind of play devil's advocate for a minute. Yeah, and um, hopefully we can kind of give give people on both sides right. something to think about. I think I think just talking about that stuff and discussing it openly is a better way to do it rather than 
getting on Facebook and arguing about it. And right. you don't know somebody on the other side right. of the screen. You have no idea what they're about. You know, let's just talk about it openly. And, and I agree. think inside of conversation like this, you really do create a the the thoughts, the ethics, the narrative, the way that you say things kind of gets formulated in a formal conversation like this. Mm-hmm. And so I think we'll probably say a lot of things that probably a lot of bear hunters that have done this their whole life would understand. They'd be like, yeah, that's just the way that, mm-hmm. um, but at the same time, it hopefully will, I mean, I mean, I don't know what you're going to ask me. So I hope we come to some good, good conclusions here of, of ways to, to, to think about this stuff because there is an answer. I mean, if, if the, if the answer was, we're just, we're just guys that are just trying to find the easiest way out to kill an animal and we're just lazy and we're, we don't enjoy chat. I mean, you know, if, if like all the negative stereotypes are true, then we're just dirt balls. So there's, there's got to be a, a way of looking at it that makes sense. And, and the way that I've always said it is that I believe that if we were in, if we could remove ourselves from this planet and go to another place that was a hundred percent just in some standard of, you know, justness, and you could present the case for hunting large predators based upon the world that we'd come from because we're not there anymore. I think we'd win. I mean, it's it's rational. It makes sense. It's sustainable. It's uh, there's all these positive things, and the the negative things oftentimes are not as rational. They're emotional, and they really aren't totally based in fact. That being said, nothing's perfect. Yeah. Like, there, there, there's bad. There are bad things that have. There are bad people that bait bears and run hounds. Well, there's bad people in everything. I there's mean, bad people that play tennis. Yeah. Yes, and golf. Oh, <laughs> golf. I wasn't gonna say that one. <laughs> you know what's funny? We keep going back to this golf thing. I kind of. I told. I've told you this. I despised golf as a kid. Yep. And my dad pushed me to be a golfer, and I was like, "No, I'm not a golfer." So. Don't bring up golf. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I think that's a good introduction just okay. for people that have listened to like the first six or seven minutes of the podcast. Yep. Let's talk before we dive into all that though. Okay. Let's let's talk about uh, let's talk about backcountry hunters and anglers. Let's just, do. Just give a. I mean, even if we even if we just talk for a short period of time here about it, like uh, describe what backcountry hunters and anglers is from even just like a national perspective. Okay. And then what's happening here in Arkansas? Yep. BHA is the uh, the voice for wild public land, public water, and wildlife in North America. That's the tagline. Mm. And, um, you know, when we think about public land, public water, places where people go to hunt or they go to hike or they go to fish or bird watch, whatever it is, you know, so much of that activity takes place in publicly held land and water but bha you know got started i want to say 15 years ago right you know some roughly it really just started to grow it's grown exponentially the last two three years that's right you know um and so originally you think about public land and and we're here sitting in northwest arkansas we're blessed to have national forest i mean we're basically sitting in the middle of it but a lot of a lot of parts of the country don't have that of course public land was a big deal out west there's so many millions of acres of it out there 
And when there started to become threats to that, to, you know, getting rid of that public land, I think that's when the movement really started to, to take hold and people started to pay attention to it. Now you think about it, there's public land exists for a lot of reasons and recreation. It certainly is, is great for recreation. It, it's there for other uses as well. And BHA recognizes those uses, but the, the, the part of that BHA steps up for is, is the the wildlife that's on it and and the people who use public right. lands yeah. and public waters for that purpose to give them a voice at the table um now here in 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 the southeast you know arkansas right now is part of the southeast chapter of bha we have six states now tennessee is just just ready to break off and become their own state chapter so we'll be six states arkansas louisiana uh, mississippi alabama georgia and florida and um so we're kind of a regional chapter it's a little bit of an experiment within bha but within each state you know we we've got a leadership structure and and we focus on the issues that are particular to that area so arkansas it might be the buffalo river it might be um you know the the ozark national forest might be something different in louisiana it's something different in in every one of the states but the great thing that we have and i don't think most of the rest of the country understands this we've all got that that southern camaraderie you know yeah. The, the the Southeast Conference mentality, you know, yes. it's us against everybody else. It just yeah. matters more here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. So, um, but here in Arkansas, what we're specifically doing right now is is building out leadership structure. We've recruited some just awesome guys that stepped up at first and said they want right. to be involved in, in helping. And we're not doing anything super formal with that right now other than, yeah. you know, take advantage of their skills and their talents and desires. And then, you know, over the next, I don't know, let's say six or eight months, we will start identifying the, we'll name the seats on the bus. We'll start putting people in those seats on the bus and we're going to figure out where to drive the bus. That's yeah. the analogy that I like to use. Yeah. Um, and we don't have any formal goals around, you know, being being the next state to break out of the chapter anything like that right now yeah but but what we do have is we want to get that leadership structure in place so that we can benefit from the rest of the southeast chapter's leadership and then um bring bha's message here to arkansas and what does that mean for arkansas that's another question we get all the time like why do i need to join bha um what's important in in public lands and waters here in arkansas think about where does a lot of our duck hunting happen? Public land, yeah. public water. Um, you know, we've got world-class trout fisheries, striper fisheries. We've got, um, you know, just, just all these different resources in the state that we've got that heritage of taking advantage of those here in Arkansas. And yeah, we're not maybe under direct threat right now. Let's right. hope we never get there. But yeah. but let's be let's a part of an organization. In, let's have something in place for if it ever did happen. Exactly right. And and I think you said it, but a lot of the Western issues revolve around public lands actually being sold back to the state. Mm-hmm. That, that's a pretty big deal. Like yep. there's this keep you know public public lands and public hands, and that's pretty much what that is referring back to. 
and and in super layman's short terms is that it doesn't sound so bad for public land to be sold back to the state except the history of that transaction usually means that once it's sold to the state they don't have enough money to maintain it and they shut stuff down and they potentially even ended up selling it into right. private hands yep so it's like what what bha from what i understand and i'm a member of bha is is that you know no net loss of public land anywhere in the country right and an expansion of public lands mm-hmm. and just the the rights of who gets to go there and, yep. and a lot of those issues are more western stuff but there's plenty of stuff here in arkansas that i'm sure that you guys will get involved with and, yep cwd is another one just to briefly right. touch on you know we that was something that was passed at rendezvous just back in early may yeah and um we'll be we'll be advocating for more money for research and things like that you know okay. obviously here in arkansas there's yeah, parts of parts here. of our area that's a big deal yeah you know i think the biggest thing that bha has done on a national scale is brought attention to public lands right and and see and and they've made it they've made it cool to appreciate public lands mm-hmm. and that is a i mean it's kind of a no-brainer but I mean, I look but, at myself. I've been influenced by it. I mean, I've hunted public land my whole life, and it's kind of like you just – it's just your right. You, you know? And see, and that's where, like, a difference of how, how you and I grew up. Yeah. Because in 20 – I think it was 2016, we were on vacation. Maybe it's even 20 – no, it's 2016. We're on vacation in Colorado, and we're driving through National Forest and BLM land and – I'm I'm on my phone like the kids are asking what's public land mean dad I'm like man I don't quite understand that so mm. I mean I'm googling what's the difference between mm. BLM and forest service land yeah. and what is that and we actually took and you know much to my wife's chagrin we just turned <laughs> off the highway in one place and just took off took the took the gate down drove across put the gate back up and just drove out into this into this rolling pasture Hmm. you know public land and just went driving around took pictures you know until it was my wife was like okay this is enough let's go back to the road (laughs) (laughs) and uh that's when that's for me when it started to become real that like okay this is what it means like this is a place we can go just go do stuff but i didn't have that experience growing up so i had to physically experience it to get it yeah well i think it's and, and i think just the knowledge of the knowledge of, of the history of public lands is so powerful too. And I mean, this is something that I, I would have known before, but it's like, I can't, it can't be denied that BHA has brought it to the forefront in that this experiment with public lands in North America is a very unique thing to the world. Mm-hmm. Very unique thing for man, the history of mankind that a government would say this land is for everybody because typically kings and monarchs took stuff for themselves yeah like for real like that's the king's forest you can't go in there right i mean that's typically how the world has worked for a couple thousand years and that's then that's what money does you know money money buys you exclusion in a lot of cases and so it it was a a happy accident, I think. You know, I mean, it was just an experiment. I mean, it was Roosevelt and a bunch of other people that were just like, "Hey, these these places are worth protecting. Let's make this eternally the land of or, you know the land owned by the people and citizens of the United States." And what we can't forget, we can't forget inside that narrative, 
is that Roosevelt, not most of those guys that were influential inside of that, did it because they loved hunting. Right. I mean, for real. <laughs> That's you're absolutely I mean, that, right. Now, obviously, the, the 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 purpose of it was bigger than that, and Roosevelt knew that. I mean, like this is you know not everybody's going to just come here to hunt, and there's some places that you couldn't hunt. I mean, the national parks and stuff. Mm-hmm. But in general, the they were Roosevelt loved land because he loved to hunt. I'm reading a book by Roosevelt right now called. Uh, Tales of the Grizzly, I think. He spelled grizzly with an S rather than a Z like we do today. Mm-hmm. Uh, hmm. And it, it was his his book that he wrote about all his bear hunting. And I, I'm actually pretty amazed at the knowledge that he had, chapters and chapters on on bear, uh, just bear-related, not biology really, but just his observations. Okay. And anyway, I mean, the guy was in love with wild places because of wildlife and because he loved to hunt. Mm-hmm. And, and, and It's an interesting thing to think about how people who love to go out and, and hunt that wildlife, I mean, yeah, I, I get it. People, some people want to go look at it, but the ones spending the money on it and contributing to yeah. it, are the the hunters and anglers who are out there pursuing it for their recreational purpose. Right. And uh, we can't beat that drum loud enough. No. <laughs> where 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 wildlife has cultural value, deep cultural value, specifically through hunting, it is it is protected. And where wildlife is protected, the only way to protect wildlife wildlife is through game regulations, but primarily through habitat preservation. Yep. I mean, we can't have bear and deer and turkeys and elk unless we got a place for them to live so if you love wildlife want to protect it you protect habitat and i mean that is the drum that's the drum yep and and going back to even jumping into what we're going to talk about i mean i think it's important that we understand the foundational the foundational ethics for why we're not just justified but why it is right that we have the right to hunt yeah you know and 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 the main thing too is that it's worked this it's no longer an experiment right you know 75 years ago it was kind of an experiment you know roosevelt and them in 1889 i think 1887 maybe was when they created the boone and crockett club and that was kind of the beginning point Mm -hmm. of coming from this century of mass degradation of wildlife and then all these guys were like wait a minute all this big game's going to die off. We got to do something. So I mean, that's that's kind of like a point when you could say something started. Then forty or fifty years later, uh, Aldo Leopold and a bunch of other guys started. You know, it just it just kind of built on it and this idea of wildlife management that we could manage this wildlife strategically and manage land and and it's like back then it was kind of an experiment. Let's see if this works. Yeah. And then now here we are, one hundred and twenty years later, one hundred and thirty years later, in the North American model of wildlife conservation and what we've done with habitat has created a continent that has more big game than any place on the earth. Mm-hmm. I tell people that on YouTube almost daily. I'm pointing my finger for all those of you listening. I'm pointing at Colby that for emphasis. No, I'm serious because on our YouTube channel, we get a lot of oh. interaction from people from other countries. Yeah. They see us shoot a bear and they, they, it just makes it's a them a visceral reaction, right? Well, for them, it is. They think it's the last one on the earth. Yeah. <laughs> For real. I mean, they're like, these are endangered. And it's always in broken English, you know. Mm. And it's like, these are endangered. How could you do this? I hope your family dies. Or, I'm serious. Or symbols we try to get translated. Yeah, 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 we have to do. Today, I translated a comment. I didn't know what it was. And it was actually a good comment. But And, and I'm always 
and I, I, I have this same banter that I always go back. It's just like, we have more big game than any place on the earth. Most places killed out their big game a thousand years ago. Or they put it, you know, it's held in reserve somewhere, you know, by the, the barons or, you right. know, the kings or, or whatever it is. And yeah. you can't. You can't go over there and do that. Right. Don't don't shoot the king's deer yep. or whatever it is. Yeah. King stag. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so I mean, that's that's the thing that is so powerful to me is that what we're doing is not an experiment. It's it's working, and uh, and it's the hunters that have primarily done it, and that's just hard to deny. And uh, now that doesn't give us a right to just do whatever we want. I mean, it it doesn't it doesn't. But but it is well, and it's still we still can't always agree on what that means as hunters right. either. And that's, so that's that's a good maybe that's a good lead into even the conversation at hand. Uh-huh. Just uh, yeah, so bear hunting. If we're gonna if we're gonna open up the that can, you know, hunting large predators in general is a it's a hot button topic. It's a controversial topic amongst people that have no concept of hunting or rural lifestyle or tradition or scientific based wildlife management mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's a hot button with them but it's also a hot button with people hunters right our, our allies that don't understand yep um so in when we say large predators in north america what we're talking about is Grizzly bears, black bears, and mountain lions, basically. Uh-huh. Those would be the large predator. Polar, you can hunt polar bears in a few places. Um, but those are, those are the primary targets. That, that's, that's what we're talking about. Yep. Um, so what would, what would you say, or, or where would you like to start with? Just, just kind of some, and if you, if you wanted to even just pick a, a, certain, a certain method of hunting. Yeah. Well, let's, let's because I brought it up before, so let's talk about baiting a little bit. And I knew you were going to bring it up. Yeah. You were ready. <laughs> you um, just baited yourself into that one. Oh. <laughs> pun. Wow. All I was right. good at puns. So, <laughs> so you've walked into my trap. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So it's ensnared another another oh. form. Nicole, <laughs> you got you got to jump in here too. I'm gonna help me. I'm gonna dial them back now. <laughs> you gonna dial them back? Yeah. All right. So, so when it comes to to baiting, obviously some places in the U.S. you can, and some places right. you can't. Yeah. So, as I came. So first of all, you know, my first introduction to big game hunting was obviously whitetail, as it is for yeah. most people. And that's about all I did, and that's about all I wanted to do. And then um, started to get a little bit more interested in maybe a western hunt. I went on a pronghorn hunt last fall, mm. and that was fun. You know, I would say that equating it to something in the fishing world, that's like taking your kid out and going bluegill fishing. You know, okay. putting some worms okay. and going to the dock and... I mean, it's not quite that easy. It's it's a little more difficult than that, but lots of things to see, lots of game. You get to see right. it moving around all over yeah. the place. Okay, so I've crossed that bridge. I'm like, okay, now stuff's getting a little more interesting to me. Um, but like, when it comes to hunting bears, um, why why would you use bait? Right. Why in, in and I even only just took up archery hunting last fall and 
never wasn't successful at all. Didn't really get a shot at anything, but, um, why would you, why would you need bait to, to, to hunt a bear? Well, can I ask you a question first? Oh, we'll see. Let me me put it back. No, like, would you like from a new hunter coming into this, would you have ethical issues? Like if you were to go do it? Yeah. So yeah, I think that's a good question to ask. What would be, what would be the thing that would be like, this could be bad. See, I would, I feel a little uneasy about it from the standpoint of altering the natural um, habit the, of the, the, bear. the natural habit of the bear exactly and taking and that, advantage of it and, and that's i think that's just something that's formed in me over time it's not necessarily you know i'm not repeating i mean i've heard that said before but right. i think from the standpoint of um if i wanted to try to be in as natural of environment as i could then the use of bait to me feels like I'm altering that in a way yeah. that's unfair to the to animal. The okay. No, that's good. You know, I think the baseline understanding that a lot of people don't have about bear is that bears are so widely geographically distributed from the I say this all the time, from the Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific Ocean, from the northern boreal forests all the way down to old Mexico. Mm-hmm. Is a native black bear range, okay. and we're talking about black bears. Okay. We're talking about baiting. Let's just say that. And and now, why is that? Why is it only black bears when you're talking about that? Just because we know well, we don't, grizzlies we don't everywhere. Pretty, pretty, baiting grizzlies would be like a pretty rare thing. Okay. It's legal in Alaska okay. and a few places. So okay. it's just not that. It's I just feel like it's more relevant to talk about baiting okay. black bears. Why isn't it legal though? Any, well, because they don't have any trouble. Well, uh, that's a great question because they don't have any trouble managing the populations with other methods okay gotcha that's so, a great play that's a great thing yeah, to, so, to say so that is ultimately so if you understand this wide geographic distribution of black bear in these wide varieties of habitats eastern deciduous forests basically from where we're at right now in western arkansas all the way to the atlantic ocean for the most part today is heavily forested yep eastern deciduous forest most places in arkansas the visibility is about 50 yards. Yeah. So what I'm getting at, and I can describe it in more detail, is that the only places that you can bait bears, it is used as a management tool to harvest the amount of bears that they need harvested out of a certain region. So it's more of a scientific approach rather than a convenience percent. approach. I mean, okay. that, that is, that's not even like doctored up theory. That, that is the truth. No, you you didn't have to go to your like bear hunter manual, and this is what you say. That's actually that's, that's what the biologist would say. Exactly. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm being serious. I mean, no. sometimes people we we spin things. Yeah, and no, when I say I we, I'm just talking like mankind in general. Yeah, can spin something to make it feel like it's in in his favor. But I mean, uh, like a lot of Western states, if they can harvest, because what what states do, state biologists, the ethic of wildlife management organizations run by the federal government or the state government is that we want to utilize wildlife for the people but also for the greatest good of that particular species of animal right in general i mean that's the ethic of it and so wildlife managers say we have this amount of habitat we have this number of animals this amount of habitat will hold this number of animals we that 
population of animals expands by this mathematical percentage every year. For bear, that's 10% per year. So if you have a population of 1,000 animals, next year you're going to have 1,100 animals. The next year you're going to have... 1,210? 12, 11. 1,211. Yeah. It, you know, it, and, and so it just so what they say is to stabilize... the po- So once that population fills up the habitat, then they have to take out the surplus animals every year. And so they find ways to do that through management tools, which would either be through spot and stalk hunting, where there's no, can't bait, can't run hounds. All you can do is just go out in the woods and try to kill a bear. Um, They did that in Arkansas for 21 years. Okay. From 1980 to 2001. And we killed about five to maybe the maximum amount of bears we ever killed was 50 in the entire state Uh in a given year. Well, the population began to expand so much that the game and fish said, we have to have a way to manage these bears through hunters. And so they said, we're going to open up baiting bears on public land, and we're going to manage these bears through Arkansas's bow hunters. I mean, so so baiting was the only way that it could be done. Private, Private land. Private land in Arkansas. Yeah. Private land in certain zones in Arkansas. And so baiting is a management tool and that was the that was the foundational point james that i was going to say that has to be understood is that we take these things and we turn them into and i'm going to air quotes sport i mean because we enjoy hunting we do right if we didn't enjoy it we wouldn't do it no and and so what what somebody might see is sport but actually we're killing two birds with one beautiful stone Mm-hmm. And that beautiful stone is is that we're managing wildlife based upon science, based upon things that have worked in the past and are working extremely well. But we're also enjoying enjoying the resource. We're we're enjoying hunting. We're enjoying bear meat. We're enjoying the challenge. We're enjoying these things. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so that would be like the foundational thing. This is a management tool. Let me go on. Shall I go on? Yes. Please, please uh, do. <laughs> the, the management tools, the more effective a management tool is, the more selective that hunters can be. So okay. like in baiting, I can be highly selective on which animal I take out. And the hunting culture of a certain region dictates kind of how that plays out. What we're, what we're trying to do in Arkansas is to build, and this is, this is going to throw people off, but well, I, I won't use the the catchphrase. I'll throw people off. We I'm we're trying to tell people shoot older mature males over bait. Yeah, that's the, the target the, animal. The T word. The T word. Don't say it. <laughs> trophy hunting. I won't say trophy it. hunting. <laughs> no, for real. Um, and so, if but there's a reason for that. There's a biological reason for that, right? Absolutely. I mean, to to. An older mature male has already contributed to the gene pool, and he is it, there is no net loss on the population when he is extracted. So by targeting older mature males, we we give preference to juveniles and females, and let mm-hmm. them grow up and do what they do. So I mean, like hunting older mature males is the best thing to do in almost any type of population, mm-hmm. and so. When I say the most effective, like we could go out here on private land and good bear country in Arkansas and get seven or eight, ten bears coming into our bait. Now, could you go in there with a bow and kill one on any given day? 
man, you you've got your work cut out for you, and a lot of people wouldn't understand that. Yeah, and that isn't necessarily what this conversation is about. But you can be selective. Okay, when I go into the national forest to hunt bears. Let me just stop right there and say, is, are those points clear? Yeah. No, Highly I, selective. Yep. And it's a management tool. I think the management tool piece of it is, that's like a, uh, Driver. like a lightning strike kind yeah. of thing. Um, when we, when we talk about hunting as conservation and, and m- most hunters will use that as yeah. a justification, hunting as right. conservation. Okay, so if we're going to use hunting as conservation, then we want it, we need to be effective with it. And so in bear hunting, you know, even though I don't, I don't do that right now and I don't, didn't, let's say I don't understand it, if that's the best way to manage that population for conservation, then I, that's a gateway. Like I can, I can step over that that chasm that I had now I have a bridge to get from one side to the other and I can say okay I I can respect that I can understand that now I mean I could I I could say maybe baiting isn't the right way to go about other species and we don't have to get into that but but for bears okay I get it and that's a good point probably for white-tailed deer we could kill all the white-tailed deer we needed without baiting in Arkansas probably yeah I mean like but we, we might have to sharpen our skills a little bit. We'd have to get, yeah. But but I know what you're saying. I'm picking up well, what you're okay, putting Well, okay, here's, here's the, here's, I think the term would be the counterfactual is what if there was no baiting? Let's look at that world. Let's look at the world of Arkansas where, you know, people just said, you can't bait bears. That's wrong. Well, this is what would happen is that, and I know this because I have tracked arkansas bear hunting for the last 20 years and i mean there are very few people in the state of arkansas that are consistently going out and killing bears in the national forest just without bait without hounds right just like going out and just hunting them like deer very few people now granted if that was the only thing we could do there would be more people doing it and people would find ways to be successful maybe but you'd also lose some people yes because you can only go out and beat your head against a rock for so long before you give up yes that's a good point so here's what would happen. I mean, I can guarantee you this is what would happen is we would maybe get to a point where we killed 150 bears a year where, where, and, and, and we have got to take out 400 bears a year for this bear population, not to just explode. Well, and so I think that's a good segue into something else I wanted to ask you about, which is what happens when the bear population explodes? Good question. So, so bear hunting yeah. as um, it's a management tool. Uh, obviously, you've got if you get too many bears, you get too many of any animal right. on the landscape. You know that causes problems with uh, what they eat and the habitat. They you know they destroy right. the habitat. Um, but but what else right. goes on? Well, there's a there's a phrase that biologists use called cultural tolerance. Mm-hmm. So what is the cultural tolerance of this region for people to have bears walking through their yard, and people to have good. bears walking up on their porch eating their bird feeders, stuff like this? But here here's here's a version of what would happen is that bears would begin to saturate into places that people don't want them. There would be bears. You know, on I live kind of in the city limits of a rural town in northwest Arkansas. 
I mean, if there were bears walking through this town every day, rummaging through people's, we'd have all kind of problems that would put pressure on the game and fish. Game and fish would have to trap four to five hundred problem bears a year. Massive amount of money, massive amount of energy. Uh-huh. They'd have problem bears, and ultimately, bears would die. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, they're gonna die one way or the other. Ultimately, they would euthanize the amount of bears that they would have to. Mm-hmm. I mean, it'd be a yeah. good experiment to just let this thing go for 50 years and see how many bears they had to euthanize in order to stabilize the population. It's kind and, of happened with grizzlies now in the well, Yellowstone. Exactly. That's what we, I was thinking. We did, a, we did a podcast with Joe Condellis, Yellowstone Bear Country Association. A Western uh, Western Bear, Bear, Foundation. Bear Foundation now. Formerly yeah. known as. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there, the, the state officials killed 44 grizzly bears last year euthanized 44 problem uh-huh. grizzly bears that they had and you know out there they have they don't want to kill those things right mm-hmm. like there this is like last resort they harvest they killed euthanized 44 mm-hmm. bears what we're fighting for out there is a 20 bear hunter quota for bears all we're saying is let us have 20 bear tags a year uh-huh. that we can utilize and uh they're killing more they're killing more inside of that. What happens when you start to hunt a predator like that? Man, that we talked a little bit about this on the podcast that that just came out, but when you have an unhunted population of of top predators, apex predators, they just get bold and it changes mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. They they get bold and it changes them and they become dangerous. The most dangerous grizzly bears on the planet are out there in the Yellowstone region. Okay. Um, and what, and so, you know, I've thought, well, what good is it going to do to kill 20 bears out in these places? That, because you're not going to hunt them like in the city limits of Cody, Wyoming, where they're actually causing problems. Okay. Do you understand what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. We're, we're hunt, we'd be hunting these bears in the national forest out in the wilderness. But if they're out there, if you hunt them out there and leave enough space out That's there right. for them to live, they don't have to go to it's, town. It, yeah. Joe described it that it's like a bucket. You know, there's only so much volume in that bucket for bears. The bucket is full and now water is flowing over the top. Right. And so these grizzly bears are in a bunch of places they were never even naturally before. Yeah. I mean, like, that's the way I understood Jim Sessions and Joe to say it. Yeah. Is that there are grizzly bears now today in that region inhabiting places that historically grizzlies didn't even live. Like, plain, you know, like, and so, and it's because there's this bucket that's a really good bucket. It's mm-hmm. full, spilling out. So, but if you that, killed, if you harvested some of those bears out of the main bucket, they wouldn't be having to flow out. But isn't part of the argument, um, in the courts around grizzly bears, this argument about connecting populations together, and you would have to right. have a certain number of, I mean, you would have to overflow that bucket to force those populations to go together. So it seems like there's this, I mean, it's not counterintuitive, but it's like the two ideas clash with each other. Like right. we, we, we must have these bears connect with the other populations, but when they overflow the bucket, it's, you know, it's water, problem. water takes the easiest course downhill. And yeah. so that's Cody, Wyoming, let's say, or yeah. wherever it is yeah. that they, they I think get some of those to. arguments are probably just a good way for them to stall this thing inside a court. I mean, would it be ideal for these, like the Selway bitterroot population of grizzlies and this other, and I'm not an expert really on the geography there, but mm-hmm. I mean, would it be ideal that all these populations 
interbred and there were bears moving back and forth. I'm sure it would be. Mm-hmm. But is it essential? No. I mean, that's that's from what I have filtered, but it is a, I mean, the anti-hunting groups are just concerned about keeping this in a, in court for eternity. They they would keep it in court for the next seven oh, yeah. years. Good, yeah. It's good business for them. Yeah, it's, they uh, make money off of it. They make money off I mean, like, but but to get back to our Arkansas analogy, yeah. um, I mean, that's essentially what would happen well, we here. Would, so we would deal with those same kind of bear issues. For example, if I vacation out in Colorado, you know, when you roll into town, they're they're trying to educate every tourist. Do not feed the bears. Yeah. You know, we do not want the bears coming into town. Everybody's like, oh, I want to see a bear. Well, yeah. that's we don't we don't want to see bears in town. Yeah. And we would deal with that same kind of thing in Arkansas, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And and you know, a hundred pot here's here is something that a lot of hunters wouldn't know and actually kind of goes against in some ways our our message is that a hunted population of bears grows and expands faster than an unhunted population. Why is Think that? Think about that. What it's just a proven it's just a bare fact because they is it because they tend to stay in the areas they'll get more remote it's, or? it's even more mysterious than that and I, I i i don't i've never heard anybody give a real good explanation of it but basically it's an increase in litter size i mean it, it's like okay. think think about it like a sow bear out in the mountains here in arkansas somehow her body perceives that animals are being extracted from the population. And so she rears three cubs rather than two. I mean, that is yeah. essentially the way it works. Okay. That's what's happening in Oklahoma. Like, they're, they're, we opened up the season in Oklahoma 10 years ago, I yeah. think. Um, and so they, they're currently inside of a research project where they're trying to understand the impact of harvesting 40 or 50 bears out of the population. Because that's all they kill in Oklahoma between 40 and 70 bears a year. Okay. And uh and what they're seeing is increasing litter size already. Huh. And so but so again like as a as a as a hunter that's wanting to hunt, you know, we say, well, we're going to control the population through hunting. It's true, but you actually have to begin it creates a beautiful, wonderful cycle because it creates it, more bears. But to it hunt. but it also like if you were just a staunch anti-hunter and you said, we want bears on the landscape. I want bears crawling in my windows at night. Then we'd say, good, let us hunt them. I mean, yeah, because we'll have more of them that way. Quicker. That's right. We'll That's have more quicker. Okay. You think, think about it this way too. Arkansas had a, we've been able, basically the floodgates of Arkansas bear hunting opened in 2001 when we were allowed to hunt bear overbait for 21 years from 1980 to 2001. All it was was just spot and stock bear hunting in Arkansas, and we killed between five and I can't remember. 50, I think you yeah, said. Yeah, I mean, and honestly, I don't even know if we ever killed 50. Okay. 2001, we started killing bears. We started killing between 200 and 500 bears a year. Let's just say 20 years, we killed 300 bears a year. Who, math for me. How many bears is that? 6,000 bears. We've killed 6,000 bears in the last 20 years in Arkansas. And we have more bears today than we've ever had. And more ever. people. I mean, yep. honestly, more yep. people than we've ever had. Yeah. So go figure. You talked to Myron Means, the bear biologist for the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission, to verify that statement I just said. I promise you, I could text him right now. 
do we have more bears in Arkansas than we've had in the last hundred years? And he would say, yes. Someday I would love to see an Arkansas bear in the wild. Never seen one. Yeah. You know, a lot of people haven't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they, they it's pop a neat up, experience. Sw- what swimming across Beaver Lake the other day? Did you yeah, see that? I did. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was a bear, and there was a bear in this town uh, a few weeks ago, like right over here, which is pretty. I mean, there's bear habitat here close. There's mm-hmm. been I've seen bear sign in this hollow across the road from me. Okay. But I mean, I've never seen a bear on my property. But it's my dream to one day see a bear on the property, just walking right through the backyard. You should yep. start putting some food out for him. <laughs> <laughs> He's the one who doesn't like bait. <laughs> He's converted. He's yeah. co- oh, it didn't take much. Yeah, yeah. man, no. I'm I'm, a, I'm weak. You converted me right <laughs> no, away. No, that's a lot of people. A lot of people don't understand baiting. Like they have this. It, it's a. It's a. It's kind of a. You know, it's like, is it fair? And that's really not the right question. Because if the macro concern is the the health of wildlife and their how they live inside of habitat, then we have to go back to what's the best management tool for this resource. Mm-hmm. And then once you actually start baiting bears, you realize how hard it is. Yeah. Which is yep. true. And I've heard you mention that before. I mean, um, success rate in Arkansas for bears, they don't really have a statistic, but I bet it would be like, 20 30 percent it's hard to get a statistic because we all get a bear tag right That's exactly right so yeah um and then they also leave the bait to go to natural foods really quick and that's that's the thing that makes it tough here is that they leave bait to go to natural foods um so you can a bear would rather eat a white oak acorn as he would a donut or mm-hmm. anything you could put out for him well, most animals are like that it's kind of odd how they figure that out it's better to eat the natural stuff than whatever it is we put out for them yeah we're the only species that hadn't figured that out. Uh, well, we'd rather eat Cheetos. I'd rather eat venison. Meat. Yes. Yeah, good. That was good. That got us you right try on track. Uh, yes. Agreed. Man, Let's talk about that. Well, okay. There, there's another point that I think is a massive stumbling block for people is that they say, "Are you going to eat it? Yeah. Do you eat bear?" Well, it, I want to. I want to. I want to come at it from a little bit different angle. If if that's okay with for you. Sure. So one of the things that I think has always been a roadblock, well, I use always loosely. A roadblock for me, I heard somebody say once that when you get down and you start skinning out a bear, man, it really looks like a person when you get all the fur (laughs) off of it. Is that true? I mean, it it looks more like a person than a skinned deer looks like a person. I mean, so I, I can see somebody saying that. Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, that's just something you have to get over then. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I I guess I'd liken that to the first few times I killed a deer. I had, a, I struggled with gutting it, okay, and and doing all that. And now it's just like, He's honest, you know. Last <laughs> yeah. year was the first year because cause at my in laws' place it was like, up, oh, bring the four wheeler. We got one down. And we take it back up to the house, right. string it up, do all the stuff. Last year was the first year that I was like, oh, we're, I'm going to do this right there. I killed it right there. I'm going to just do it right here in the field. It was way easier to do it that way mm. than stringing it up and having the, you yeah. know, guts flopping out of it and blood running down on my shoes and everything. I mean, yes, okay, yeah. you you get into it a little bit more in your yeah. elbows and stuff, but uh, you get over it. And, yeah, and if you want it bad enough, you get past it. Being desensitized to a really natural and normal process that taking has, it taking it all the way from from the field to your table right helps a lot with that. Yeah. 
Definitely. I just realized what I should have said when you said, does a bear look like a human when it's skinned? Okay, what? I should have said, I never skinned a human. <laughs> <laughs> have you? No, no. Okay, that's no, what I should have said. Yeah, I get to stay for a little while longer. Oh, man, we're just pounding away here. Um, we're on time. <laughs> no, so, well, let's stay on this just a minute. Like, a lot of people don't understand that uh, a bear's diet a lot of people would say, well, eating a bear is like eating a coyote. Yeah. Or you know, they would yeah. think like, you know, the kind of the old uh, mosaic law of like, don't eat anything without a, what is it, a cloven hoof? I mean, like right. cow, yeah. sheep, deer. Don't know. eat a pig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, like, and so, you know, certainly something that doesn't have hooves, you wouldn't eat, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, a bear pretty much has a diet not much different than a wild turkey when you actually realize just a lot more well this this is that analogy only works in this scenario 85 percent of a bear's diet is is plant matter okay 15 percent is protein from animal protein of that 15 percent like 85 percent of that typically for arkansas bears anyway is insects no kidding yeah i mean they're they're grubbing fools Okay. Ants. I mean, they would they roll logs and eat ants. I mean, that's basic, essentially, like what hmm. a turkey eats. I mean, but will yep. they catch a fawn if they see one? Heck yeah! But if, but that's only going to be for a few weeks. Absolutely. And now you get into you get into bears that are influenced by salmon streams and stuff, and you're in a totally different category. Right. There's going to be periods of time that they're going to be eating a lot of fish based protein, and you don't want to eat those bears, right? Well, they're. I, I just can't say that I have ever eaten a black bear that was like just pounding salmon. Uh, I've heard people say it's not bad. I've heard people say it's terrible. It's just all over the board. Well, end but, of the day, you're not going to kill it and not try to do something productive with it. Right. You know, you're right. going to try it one way or the other. It may not yeah. be, you know, just like you go to the store and buy beef. I mean, sometimes you get a steak that's really good and sometimes it's yeah. not really good. So... Yeah. I guess you just kind of have to take what you get. Yeah, but it's good. Well, you, so, you, so what you you're working no, on? No, no, it's, no, good. Just, it's it's good. I mean, like I could feed you bear in my house, and you would think it was beef. I mean, I just really believe that. Like, if you had no idea who I was, and you were just sent to my house to eat dinner, and you walked to my house, I could feed you something, and you'd just be like, "That's good. It's good meat." I mean, it's good. Had an um, interesting rub on it, a little sweetness to it. Yeah, yeah, maybe so. Maybe. Um, so, <laughs> Colby's got a product he's working on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, so it's, it's good, and it's and, and historically, you know, I think a lot of the, I don't know if there's really a place for this, but you know, in in today's society, everybody's so interested in preserving traditions and traditions of their people. Man, our people ate bear on this continent for a long time. Yeah, I mean. Uh, and I guess when I say our people, I mean people who moved here, even yeah, though settlers. maybe a, a lot of us have some Native American probably somewhere way back there, but but that's what I'm talking about. And I mean, you know, the the there's there's historical literature here in Arkansas that said if you, you know, in the early 1800s sat down at the dinner table in the Ozark Mountains of Arkansas and had red meat, there's about an 80% chance it was black bear. You know, I mean, they're just... There's a lot of historical usage, and here's what yeah. happened in Arkansas: is that for 75 years we didn't hardly have bears because right. they were extirpated. 
by habitat loss and market hunting, which is very different from what we do today. Yep. That, there's a big misunderstanding there with just the general public as they think, well, hunters are the ones that killed all the wildlife at the turn of the century. Man, they were they were basically like farmers. I mean, they were they were going out to reap a harvest for to market it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's nothing like what we do. Right. You know, we kill one bear a year and they're happy. Market hunter might kill you know, Daniel Boone killed 155 bears in one winter. You know, I mean, so it's like very different. But so it's as historical usage. Um, it's a good meat, and uh, you know, you do have to cook it thoroughly. It can right. carry trichinella. That's just a non-issue. Trichinella dies, I believe, at just over 145 degrees or right. something. Which is, we don't cook hardly anything that other than like a rare steak. Yep. And you just want to cook it, and yeah. you'll be totally fine they say does it die if you freeze it for a certain amount of time too? i've heard there's different strains of it and some strains die in when it's frozen some strains don't so it's so always it's better good just cook it just cook it just good. cook it till just it's dead it and then you have the fat yeah, yeah so tell me like what what all do you do with the fat uh, yeah. this is intriguing to me because obviously whitetail it's like oh, get rid of the fat yeah you know and i know there's some people that are kind of kind of trying to break that stigma now but Right. Tell me about bear fat. Well, we've actually, I've actually got about thirty pounds of bear fat thawing out in my freezer, or my refrigerator, as we speak, because we're going to render some bear fat this week. And uh, I've got three different types of bear fat. I've got some bear fat from Manitoba, Canada, from Montana, and from Oklahoma. And all these bears were eating different things okay. in different parts of the country. We're going to render them down, and we're going to try a couple different methods for rendering them. But basically, bear fat is is uh, you know it's just like pig lard, a white lard, and you cook it down, and it turns into oil. And there's hmm. all kinds of traditional uses, and not even I say traditional, and just in that it, that used to be the only thing that people had. Yeah. But uh, Colby or- ordered a, a oil burning lamp for the office here that we're gonna. <laughs> We're gonna use a uh, bear oil in that lamp. It produces it burns a smokeless flame. Uh, so we'll have this glass, and that's what people use it for. I mean, yeah. think about being a pioneer here in the Ozarks in the early 1800s. Nobody had ever dreamed of electricity. Yeah. And man, it gets dark at six o'clock in the winter time, and you know candles only burn for so long. But you killed a bear last fall that, and you rendered you know three gallons of bear oil man that stuff burns i mean so you can use it for burning oil lamps burning oil lamps but you use it for cooking i mean okay. um well that squirrel video we did that yeah. was at the bha yeah. deal yep we cooked the, that squirrel meat and just straight bear fat and uh it does not have a wild taste i mean you would just think like bear fat would just be like this like it's just it's just oil it doesn't even have a flavor hmm. it's just it's just lard um, so you cook with it. They, what bear fat is renowned for is for baking. Any, any, any okay. baking product that you would use oil, like for pie crust primarily. Uh, I was just that. thinking about that. I, I made I, that turkey that I shot this spring. I made turkey schnitzel last night. And then I have a family recipe that goes way back. My family is originally from Germany. There's some recipe that was handed down. Mm. We call it Myroshin. It's basically just like an apple pastry. Oh. So I made homemade dough and made Myroshin, you nice. know, with just some 
you know, I had to cut some Crisco into it. I'm going to give you some barrel oil when we get it rendered down. Oh, that's like a parting gift for being on the show. That's that's great. (laughs) We've got to render it down first, but for real, I'll I'll give you some, even if it's just as a keepsake. Um, the other it's it's people used it for uh oil and knives and guns and yep. stuff okay for leather conditioner i mean pretty much anything there, there's only so many things you can do with oil bait you know animal fat mm-hmm. and and uh you can anything you can do with anything else you can do with bear fat yep oh, that's um, cool except there's one thing you can do with bear fat that you can't do with anything else and that is forecast the weather no kidding <laughs> i was actually just reading an article no, there's there is like legitimate. There was a guy named George Wimsat. Okay, okay. Uh, back in New Mexico, he died in like ninety five or something. And he, you, are, you read about him, phenomenal guy that was covered on all these different news stations. <laughs> and he spent sixty years. Uh, Native there was Native American like folklore that you could forecast the weather. Looking at bear oil, they used to put bear oil in deer gallbladder or uh, bladders. Okay, like they would preserve the oil by putting it in a bladder, and when it dried, it was clear, and you could see through the oil. And so they would store this bear oil in these bladders, and the oil would change, and it would bubble, and it would change colors, which it does. Bear oil does that; it changes Just colors based on atmospheric pressure and temperature, atmospheric pressure. Um, and so this guy began to study it and kept detailed records for 60 years and was like predicting weather with like great certainty. Well, we, we got some <laughs> folks who probably, you know, learn a thing or two from that then. Yeah. We need to get them out in the woods and, and get a bear for some of these meteorologists. Yep. And then maybe they could correlate and uh-huh. we could improve There was the actually a story where in his, in his hometown – that the local meteorologist and him kind of for like a publicity stunt did a deal where they both forecasted and saw who was right. <laughs> and, and George was right that week. Like he won. It was like a contest. Yeah. I read this today That's from back, awesome. back in the now, 80s. What was, what was his cat's name? I believe it was George Wimsat. Wimsat. Okay. W-I-M-S-A-T-T. Maybe we can put it in the in the show notes. There we go. Yeah. On but, the website. So, so I've had bear fat on the south facing windowsill for many years. Um, and I plan to, uh, we actually talked about it today. Learn. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to learn it. how to forecast the weather. We're going to do some experiments. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've got bear fat right there. Actually. Okay. You see that yeah. jar right there? Yep. That is about six year old. Oh. Jetta. That is about six year old bear fat so that is not good bear fat <laughs> bear fat will stay good in a windowsill like that for about two years at room temperature uh, wow but that's just been there for years i i've rendered it but hey let's talk about one more thing um we've 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 pretty much run our gamut here but did you want to talk about hounds Mm-hmm. yeah sorry i had to wet my whistle there yeah so obviously that's another <laughs> As I get all kinds of love here from from a bear <laughs> dog, yeah. Really, I mean, I'm serious. This dog right here, he, he, he himself is not a bear dog, 
but his entire genealogy on both sides goes back to bear and mountain lion hounds. That's that's ironic. That right when we do, Jed just like totally cuddled up right to James and just like leaning on him and slobbering on like, him. He's trying to convert me. Yeah. So so that's the other thing I think that you know again going back to my Jed to my Jed's crawling in his lap now to my background is okay you know if you see dogs running deer you shoot those dogs yeah right that uh. i mean that's what i was told now we didn't have a big problem with that but the mindset that it placed in me was okay dogs chasing game equals bad right so and i've understood now there's other perspectives on that but um just I'm briefly. Why would you need to right. use dogs for that? Like, what's the what's the benefit of that? Is it just the same kind of thing as it is with bait? Right. Well, to go back to the very foundational place, it's a management tool. Mm-hmm. I mean, like we could have in Arkansas, they could have said we're going to let hound hunters manage the bear population, and we could have killed as many bears as we wanted. I mean, like, or you know, you could have, you could have taking out a better uh, the percentage you needed let me say that right um so the places that have hound hunts in north in in the states and in canada they hunt hounds in lots of the canadian provinces is it is a management tool just like baiting so i'll just i'll say that to say it's a scientific based management tool to help game agencies gain their objectives for harvesting bears number one number two what a lot of people would say is that you know, well, isn't this kind of, you know, I've heard people say it's barbaric or it's, it's old, so old fashioned. Like, aren't we beyond using dogs to like harass game? Mm-hmm. I mean, all the worst of what you could ever imagine right. has been said about this. And the, this goes back some to tradition, but also to, it's those are the worst possible stories they've been we've been running hounds especially in the eastern united states since europeans got here mm-hmm. and then native americans started running hounds too mm-hmm. one of my favorite books that we're going to talk about in another podcast right here in the ozarks there's this whole story about native americans having bear hounds and they ran bears out here at white okay. rock wow uh, okay yeah so i mean it's like it's not just the white europeans that were the ones running hounds mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, they say George Washington brought over hounds from Europe. Um, so it's an effective tool to manage game. You can catch a lot of game. But I go back to that effectiveness for selecting certain species. Hound hunting is the only catch and release type of hunting. True. That's, that's a fair point. That's, that's, what, that's, that's what we say is that you tree an animal and then you decide. You got all the time in the world to decide if that's an animal that you want to take. Mm-hmm. And so, it's so you a, can decide if it's a mature male or it's exactly. a sow or whatever. Exactly. Let me go ahead and say this while I'm thinking about it. There, there's a lot. Of, a lot of people would think that uh, spot and stock would be like the purest, most eth- most ethical form of hunting. Which I love spot and stock hunting, like out west. We just got back from Montana. Yep. Probably the least selective way. Because you see it from so far away, you have very difficult to tell what it is. And you might hunt for a week and see one animal. I mean, Clay Newcomb is a perfect case in point. I was going to shoot that blonde bear. You saw the video. Did mm-hmm. you see some of the Montana video? Yeah, yeah. Well, it may, I can't remember if you did. I thought you I can't remember you if I saw that 
Maybe you just I, saw the teaser. I think I saw the teaser. Okay, well, uh-huh. there was a blonde bear in the teaser. I didn't yeah. mean to put you on the spot. You better start watching our stuff. You <laughs> um, just saw me falling I, off the mule. The, well, <laughs> I saw that a couple times. Okay, well, maybe that's what you saw. No, he just said he saw something about mine. That video just came out. Don't feel bad. No, there was a blonde bear that I didn't really have time to judge. Yeah. And I was going to shoot the bear Is and that actually the one that missed. Was, yes, okay, I did see and, that. And uh, boy, after I shot... I was I was like, man, that was a small sow. And you were thankful that you missed at that. I point. was. I mean, and now if I'd killed it, I would have just been like, you know, I would have been happy. I mean, like this is spot and stock hunting. You mm-hmm. know, you just take what you can get. Yeah, and that's true. Um, but so like that narrative that spot and stock hunting is the that's the pure way. That's the ethical way. That's the sportsman's way. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying you can't be selective in spot and stock hunting. I mean, somebody could easily combat that and say, well, you got... But it's you, more you see difficult my point. to be... You see my point. You you go on a hound hunt, you could look at, I don't know, three or four bears in a week. I mean, they're hard to treat. That's the other thing. It's extremely difficult. It takes an extremely dedicated person and houndsman to be good. Um, one in 20 bear hounds ends up being a real bear hound. Mm-hmm. I mean, like these dogs... Like, you know, I mean, like there's a, these guys devote their lifetimes to breeding these dogs and, uh, and it's very difficult to, to tree animals and, uh, they're not so, house dogs. but you see my, you see my point is that it's yeah. another way to be selective. Okay. And, uh, and here's, here's the thing. And I'll put this on the table is that people say that it's inhumane. Like, because yeah. absolutely there are bears that get caught on the ground. I mean, we got to say that there there are bay ups on the ground when a dog is looking at the face of a bear, and I mean, it's like, you know, they're being bayed up. From an emo- I I think that in general, most people don't understand the ferociousness of the natural world. That bear has been in so many bear fights. That bear, I mean, for him to swat at those dogs for, and I'm just being honest. This is just the truth. For that bear to swat at those dogs and be run around for however long is a small is an easy thing for him to overcome. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like he, it's, he's his life has spent he's preparing a bear. for that thing, right? He's got claws and teeth. Yeah, and and here's another thing: we have hyper emotionalized death so much as a culture. Yeah, if if a bear or a squirrel or a turkey is not killed by God-fearing ethical hunter, then he will die a very terrible death. Mm-hmm. Guaranteed. Yeah. I mean, you see a bear walk through my yard out here and you go, what a beautiful animal. How would you ever want, how would you ever want to kill that thing? Okay. Well, what's the counterfactual? I don't send my kids out that have a tag to go kill it. And let's say it's in season. They kill that bear. Well, let's say they don't kill it. I say, boys, don't do it. It's a beautiful animal. Let's let it live. What are the possibilities for that animal's death? If we're talking about hum- being humane, yep. like if the whole point of a human is just to be this pristine spiritual creature that causes nothing harm. And just dictates hu- humaneness on every single creature. Really? Tell me what could happen to that bear. Hit by a car. Hit by a car. Mauled by another bear. Mauled, mauled or killed by another bear. Yeah. Dive, dive, disease, dive, old age, dive, starvation. mange, dive, starvation. Uh, I mean, like, contrast that with being shot with an arrow and living for eight seconds. 
Contrast that with being chased by dogs for an hour and a half, being treed, sitting in a tree, and then getting killed. You're, 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 you're the, the resource of the animal, the meat, hide, fur, fat, being utilized in a productive way, mm-hmm. built towards a scientific goal that's going to help all the other animals thrive because of that bear's absence. Yep. Are you with me? Yep. I mean, so it's like people have hyper-emotionalized death. That pretty animal that you see out there in Yellowstone is going to die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, someday. Yep. Someday. I mean, so that, and, and, you know, going back to the dog thing, um, it's, it's con- animal conflict is very natural. Mm-hmm. And so, and in most cases, bears run up trees and mm-hmm. the bears and dogs never fight. Yep. And, uh, and it's, and it's a highly selective tool. And what most people don't understand if they say it's not fair chase, I promise you anybody that says that bear hunting with hounds is not fair chase has never done it. I mean, there's maybe a lot that, of, there's a lot of chase involved in it, right? Yes. A lot I of, mean, a lot it, of effort. Some of the toughest people that I know are hound hunters, just in terms mm-hmm. of like woodsmen, mm-hmm. just like woodsmen tough. And uh, you would, you would think that. I mean, people people think that hunting over bait and hounds is just like the lazy fat man sport, you know. And uh, but some of the toughest guys and most, and they're not mountain fit like Instagram boys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're, they're but they're they're tough. Yeah, and they're, and they're hunters and they're. They holy cow! I could tell you some stories of being in West Virginia, and the first time I hunted in West Virginia, the dogs treed a bear way off this mountain, and I was with these guys that were older than me. One, I mean, like way older than me. Uh, they weren't didn't exactly look like CrossFit athletes, and they were like, "All right, let's go to that bear." And I looked at them and I said, "You mean we're just like going straight to those dogs?" And they looked at me like. I was crazy. Like, what else would we do? Like, yeah, that's pretty much the only way to get there. And I was like, all right. And I mean, we went through a hollow that, I mean, just, it blew my mind. For real. I was like, wow. I mean, because the hunting we do here in Arkansas, I mean, that I even do in the back country, I wouldn't have done anything like that. Wow. I mean, it was just like crazy. They just, they just do it. It took them a long time. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's not like they were fast. Yeah. But so there's a little bit of a hound spiel. Yep. Do you have any other, I mean, like honest questions about that or thoughts um, on that? No, I mean, I think, I think from the standpoint of understanding the various methods of take as a as a as a method of management or a means of management, and how do we deal with the population in a way that balances many competing demands? I think that's very helpful, and, and yeah. I think. Even from a standpoint, you know, we have our different camps within the hunting community, but then obviously we have, there's many more people in the camp that's outside the hunting community. Right. And, and I feel like the, one of the best ways that we as hunters can um, move the conversation forward is to know these things. Even if right. you don't, you know, if I never hunt a you bear in my life. You don't have to hunt over hounds. You know. You don't have to hunt over bait. Yeah. But. I need to understand why that is. Why why do other people do it that way and not take shots at other people because they choose to do something that way assuming that the reason that they do that is because there's a there's a benefit to it to the 
population of the animal. Right. Like, like we, like you said, we don't just get out there and run them with hounds so we can, you know, laugh and, and have fun. We, we do it to be selective. Right. So I think understanding those things, I think unfortunately, and, and a lot of hunters don't, don't want to hear this message, but we, we have to do better. Yeah. We have to understand more about what it is we're trying to do. Yes. We have to be able to be advocates for what we want to do because our ability to do it depends 100% on the majority of people who don't. That's right. And they'll take it away from us. You've said that and 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 you just have to look in the in the parts of the country where it is happening and in whatever the whatever the right. small ways that it happens. People who don't understand it you know, they're, they're inconvenienced by X, Y, or Z, you know, or, or they don't, they don't agree with, you know, they think it's lazy hunting over bait, whatever it is. It's our job to come together as sportsmen and sportswomen and speak facts to remove that emotional component from it. Right. Um, and, and just try to first do no harm you know number one thing first do no harm let's don't ruin it for the rest of us but then if you can advocate and even just move the needle a little bit on somebody who's neutral that's a win right for us i think a lot of the hunting community would like to say hey let's just give them hounds and bait for yeah real. just give it away just, just, what, just let them have just, that and then we'll still get just, to hunt because it's kind of like that's like the Redheaded stepchild of hunting in some mm-hmm. ways, I, I, at least that's my perception. In some ways, is that Colby's, Colby's smirking a bit. Yeah. Let me I retract the redhead, the stepchild. Okay, <laughs> Colby's right. Um, my wife's a redhead too. And, and so people might just be like, or, or that's probably why people that don't hunt over bait because they don't want it because they don't want to fight that battle. Right. Well, here and here's the thing. I, we've got to be quicker so we can end, but. If they don't fight that battle with us, we're going to lose. And then the next thing they will get will be something that you're interested in. Yeah. And like, you know, that's kind of like a threat, you know, and I don't want it to come across as like a threat. Uh, But the truth is that in 2019, we have given the anti-hunting community as much as we can give them and maintain this beautiful way of life that is creating great stuff for wildlife and habitat all across this continent unlike man has ever seen mm-hmm. in modern times for the amount of civilization we have for you know so it's like if we want to maintain our way of life we don't have anything left to give them and so any legal means of hunting in 2019 ought to be supported by every person on this continent that owns a hunting license if they want to keep even what they have for future generations right. to come. Right. So that, that's, that's part of our message is like, Hey, don't fight against us. Go ahead and go ahead and join with us. Even if you're never going to hunt over hound, hunt with hounds or hunt with bait, it's like, at least understand it, you know, just understand it and, and know that that is connected to what you do. And, uh, yep. that, so that's my appeal to, to people is that, uh, We've got to, you know, we, we, we really do have to stand together. And I, I would hope that giving people, uh, you know, kind of scripting the narrative for why we do these things makes sense, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's what 
that's what my goal was. I was hoping to to provide some dialogue for people like me who maybe don't yeah. want to be uh, don't want to be the reason something gets taken away because we didn't understand it and we didn't fight for it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we sit in a really unique position as bear hunters and in the modern times. I really do. Like, I mean, I, I feel like it's like a call. I believe that bears are going to be the gateway to the hunting community. And so if we guard that gate, they're never going to get anything else. It's a good way it's to a good, look at it. It's a good way to look at it. Yeah. I like it. Guard the gate. Yeah. Because we are at, we're at the, we are the, I mean, we're right there. I mean, and, and, and we probably see that here more than just the average bear hunter right. out there that's baiting bear in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know that there is a massive war going on. And it's true, and we see it here, and we, um, I mean, there's legislation. We've had Sportsman's Alliance on here, and, I mean, there's legislation all over the place about bear hunting. Right. Um, And so, man, we just have to keep, we have to keep creating that narrative, educating people, giving people the words to say, giving giving them the information, the knowledge, but also the heart posture. Like, we're not just saying that we have all the answers and that this way is the best way. But there's like a human appeal to it as well. To me, it's just like, man, this is this is a fantastic way of life. You know, it's 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 a lot easier to throw rocks at somebody who's on the other side of the wall and you can't see them. Yeah. But you make those personal connections with people. It's like, right. look, I, I like to hunt bears. I like to feed my family. I like, you know, we have a lot more in common than we do not in common. Right. And, and so yeah. we we have to be that that friendly face, so right. to speak. I think you, know, you guys are doing a great job of it. Well, passionate authenticity. Right. You know, we, the, the authenticity means I think that we, well, I mean, we've got to have the knowledge. We've got to have the science. We've got to have this foundational stuff like we've talked about. But yep. we've also got to be doing it for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not trying to poke a stick in some anti-hunter's eye or somebody else's eye that doesn't like bear hunting. I mean, it's just like, man, this is something that I love. Don't take it away from me. I mean, like literally. Yeah. I, 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 like, I, I mean, to think that my sons would not be able to roll out here on public land in Arkansas and hunt in 25 years. I mean, that's like tragedy. It's scary thought. It's like tragedy. And so we want to, we don't want that to happen. But man, we've gone over our hour, hadn't we, Colby? Buck 20. <laughs> I just I swore we wouldn't do it. Well, thanks so much, James, for coming on. Awesome, yeah. man. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it very much, and, and uh, hopefully we made a few points that people hadn't thought yeah. about. Yeah. Well, everybody, check out uh, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, and also check out, uh, well, if you're in Arkansas, check out the Arkansas chapter. That's right. Well, it's not it's not, it's not the chapter Arkansas. yet, but, yeah. you know, Southeast chapter. Southeast chapter. I need to yeah. switch over from Texas. Yeah. Yeah, you need to update your mailing address <laughs> on the do. website, and you'll be part of us just like that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, keep the wild places wild, because that's where the bears live. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com 
It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.